Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Naked Marketers. So my name is Pete Wright, and I'm sitting around the table with... Megan Strand. And... And Dane Christensen. See how we have our little fill-in-the-blanks already Hi there? That's so awesome. It's like we're trained monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Which of these people is a trained monkey? <laughs> oh, see, that was like foreshadowing to a future study. I can't wait. Our future story. I, I, I can't wait to talk about this story. I'm giddy with excitement. Uh, how is everybody this week? Awesome. Yeah? yeah you guys have just, a good week? <laughs> super excited, Pete. Are you really? Dane, that's an uncharacteristic uh, uh, level of enthusiasm from you. <laughs> I just wanted to throw something out there. <laughs> I like it. I it like it, you. too. I'm very excited about it. Uh, uh, let me tell you why else I'm, I'm getting, and this is unrelated to, uh, to what we're about to talk about, but uh, it's something I think that's critically important to all of us and, and you know, the next year of our lives. Uh, it, it is the Tron Legacy oh, here we go. trailer, which is out <laughs> today. No, I'm not. I mean, seriously. You have a running theme going about this 12-year-old feeling like a 12-year-old. It thing. is. And th- this is it. This is another uh, another example of I'm giddy, kicked in the gut, and 12. It is. It takes me back so perfectly uh, to, that, to just a big bucket of popcorn that I just poured all over myself every time I jumped because I was so excited about this movie. And now it's it's like coming back. It's I'm like waiting a, for the for the uh, the redo of Electric Dreams. <laughs> Are you, really? Because that one also I bring takes up, me back. I bring up Tron, and you bring up Electric Dreams. <laughs> There's wasn't that no the original computer spy espionage story. <laughs> That's oh, great. Man. Well, what, Corey Haim just died, so you're oh, may we cross ourselves of the Corey Haim. He is uh, such a yeah, our I mean, generation actor. I, I, he really is. I, um, I can't. Uh, I, I only associate with him that song uh, that he sang in the bathtub in Lost Boys. <laughs> I ain't got a home. Oh yeah. <laughs> I ain't got a. You know. I mean, I could do the. I could do more. Uh, don't, don't, <laughs> don't, please. It's a. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm. I miss. Uh, miss Corey Haim. Uh, luckily, we have the DVDs. What do we need to talk about this week? We have a lot to talk about. Let's do it. Are we jumping right into let's news? Let's jump right in. Why let's not? Jump. Okay, Peter. Let's talk about. Oh, okay. Fired. This was my. I, I got a chuckle out of this. I think it's. Uh, this is a fun little walk down memory lane. So the uh, uh, the website is Wired Reread, and it just sort of came out of nowhere. This. Uh, uh, see, now I started talking about it, and I closed the tab. It's just wiredreread.com. Yeah, I, well, I got that. But there's typing involved. So yeah, uh, wiredreread.com is uh, this uh, a face. I'm going to totally butcher his name. Thais Sundergaard. <laughs> I'm sure and that's wrong. The, well, Sunder, Sundergaard. He's, uh, he's a Dane, <laughs> a 33-year-old Dane, and he's a product manager at ZMAGS. Uh, and he started this website really just to uh, uh, to go through all of his 20-year-old back issues of Wired. And he's scanning the advertisements and some of the stories and uh, and commenting on them. And, and uh, it is a fantastic uh, little stroll down how ridiculous we all thought, uh, you know, thought things were cool 20 years ago. <laughs> um uh, he's uh, he puts a little commentary on it, but mostly it's a chance to look back at these technologies and tools and how we uh, how we marketed them, how we communicated them, how we uh, you know how we were able to uh, uh, to really experience technology twenty years ago when you know before the future happened. Uh, There's a lot of this like kind of cheesy, funny stuff going on. Alice Cooper and his mom dance like a white dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like. Um, yeah. What was, I mean, what, what was that about, uh, about, I mean, you know, why was that cool? Maybe it was just starting to be pull my dongle, lost the dongle. I mean, you know, pull yeah. my like, dongle. Sweet. that's what he names it. <laughs> the ad is actually says lost the dongle and it's this chiseled statue of a man, naked man. I mean, it's like, maybe it was just starting to become cool to, or acceptable to, you know, do funny plays like, I don't know. But then it seems like, you know, well, I mean, there's been a lot of funny uh, since then, but there's also been a lot of more sort of sobriety kind of seriousness, uh, you know, as we hit the by, era. By of... far my favorite magazine. Wired. It really is. Wired. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, just, absolutely. And this is, a, you know, I think this this blog in particular, it's fun to to kind of look back and and frankly, there's stuff in here that's kind of inspiring. Is as you know, if you're if you're in the business, there there's stuff in here that you can take away, some lessons learned, and and I think it's. Um, um, the blog just sort of popped up out of nowhere when uh, I think yesterday uh, or, or the day before uh, the team at Wired tweeted about it, about how they were getting such mm. a chuckle about how embarrassed they were uh, <laughs> out of this. Funny. And suddenly it took off out of, well, uh, you know, you know everywhere. It's, and, it's like, you know, pulling out your middle school pictures. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly who's what Who's not it is. embarrassed by that? But. <laughs> That's what it is. This is the middle school yearbook of Wired. That's and right. it is That's absolutely uh, worth checking out. So, it's um, you know, if you're interested in walking back through time, if, if it is still one of your favorite magazines, as it is mine, uh, definitely check this out. Someone sure. should do that for Omni Magazine. Omni Magazine, yeah, you know that's I never really, uh, I never really read Omni Magazine. I don't think I have either. <laughs> uh, oh, all right, never it's mind. It's like going back in time with what National Geographic. Suddenly, it's not funny anymore. I guess not. <laughs> well, anyway, I floated that one out there and it sank. So. Yeah, that, that like, was good. Like, and oh for the God. next lead balloon, oh Dane. Well, no, I want to talk about the. I want to talk about Lindsay Lohan suing E Trade for a hundred million dollars. All right, what's for up the, with this? The milkaholic Lindsay. That milkaholic Lindsay commercial that was so funny in the Super Bowl um, that E Trade did. So she has sued E Trade for a hundred million dollars, saying. Um, that was a direct slam on her character because everybody knows Lindsay means Lindsay Lohan, which, okay, A, is a huge, ridiculous assumption about her brand, and B, she's trashing her own brand by, you know, filing this ridiculous lawsuit. And, and Well, I, just, I, I guess just... my question is, what is she protecting, right? I mean, um, I think intentions are clear when lawsuits come out, right? There's one thing to protect your intellectual property— Right. Your patents and trademarks. But in this case, you have somebody talking about her in something that's funny, something that gets people talking about her, which, frankly, Lindsay desperately needs. Uh, her brand ain't that great. And, and with a good PR person, you know, I, I would assume the advice would be, hey, Lindsay, take this opportunity to play on it and show yeah. that you have a really good sense of humor and that, it, and that you're a great person. Exactly. This is a totally unwinnable lawsuit. Um, Even I mean, if she wins, let's just say she wins. The stupider things happen in that. It is still an unwinnable lawsuit. She may win the money. She may win a portion of the she money. They won't. may settle. She will, in the end, she, she loses because it shows what she's made of, which is not much. Exactly. And, well, you know, and desperation point, for money. Right, right. And to my point, when I saw that commercial, Lindsay Lohan did not cross my mind at all. But, you know, now that she's made that connection for me of herself as a something-aholic, thanks. You know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, think like of all the ways they could have had some sort of uh, aholic of something uh, that, you know, somehow you could, like you could call Lindsay, like let's say it was a redheaded teenager who was an alcoholic in a commercial where – but all of a sudden, you know, you come up with five variations of that and they all fit under parody, which is protected. Which, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that falls under the category of parody has a very hard time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, copyright holders have a hard time of winning against something that could be called parody. So even if these guys said, yep, that's we hoped people would think Lindsay Lohan, this is a little parody. How, you don't win. I don't see yeah. how you win. I mean. Yeah. And I don't think we should give her any more time than that. But I just wanted to bring it up because I just thought it was so ridiculous. So, <laughs> Most, well, I think we need to move on to the next story, let's, which is let's a, talk about yeah, a gem. Thing. Let's Dame, let Dane please. talk about it because he okay found my gem. Um, <laughs> so Devo, as I don't know uh, if if you all know, they're they're I, I don't know if I'd call it resurgent, but they're going to be back on tour. <laughs> they're going to be in Coachella. Um, and Mark Mothersbaugh has been more active than I thought he was. He's doing uh, you know art and um, he's been doing some uh, some movie scores. Um, but anyway, they've got a new album coming out, about to go on tour. I don't know how old they are. They're not young, um, but they've hired uh, an ad agency from Sweden. Um, uh, called is it mother uh, a crazy crazy ad campaign that has absolutely nothing to do with music uh, songs you know the new album anything like that but it's um, the Devo color study and they've got they've got this uh, I assume fake COO of Devo Inc Greg Scholl uh, so if you go to clubdevo.com uh, 
<laughs> there are just a series of focus group <laughs> ridiculous questions about colors and how they make you feel or what you think of. And there's actually a, a YouTube video uh, of an actual br bringing in people one at a time to, uh, and they have this Swedish uh, COO guy acting very authoritative, but it's just his head on an old TV um, <laughs> that he interacts, you know, like asks someone to come in and change the colors and, you know, as though he's really there. Uh, so it's all Devo-esque. Everything about it really goes back to the roots of Devo and apparently the name, which is Devolved Human Being. It was supposed to be some sort of play on, you know, um, deconstructionism or something. Uh, so, you know, kind of this avant-garde approach um, to get attention and to be viral. And it's hilarious. It's just hilarious. It is so fantastic. There Peter, you have to talk about the quiz because you do the accent because... really well. <laughs> it is. It, it has the voiceover when you when you go to each slide in the quiz. There are seventeen questions, and it's a it's this the the perfect Swedish uh, focus group moderator speaking to you. This image makes you feel fantastic, comfortable, soft, disobedient. <laughs> it's a picture of clouds in a blue sky. Of course, that makes me feel disobedient. And so you click next, and the next question is. Which color pill do you think will heal this weakened man? <laughs> well, obviously, it's the blue pill. I think we all know the answer to that. Which animal would you touch with your bare hand? Well, crocodile people. Seriously, this is this is the nature of the uh, of the exam. And in the, and at the end, it gives you a, uh, a what's your it, color? It gives you your Devo color. And my what's Devo your... color, like yours, is blue. Oh, I think. It, that makes a, me feel ununique. There's a chance that most everybody's color is blue. Dane, did you go all the way through it? No, but I mean, part of what they're doing here, I mean, you can, you know, it really is a parody, I guess, or making fun of focus groups in a way, in a very, very sort of strange, you know, way. Um, and and they're kind of, because you, you watch it, if you watch the video of them interviewing people, they're kind of making blue out to be the good color. Yeah. <laughs> if you If you kind of pick it apart, they're sort of making like red to be a bad color and blue mm -hmm. to be a good color. And they're using these questions that are nonsensical. Um, but when they, when they pull the people in, it's so worth watching because people take it seriously. And, and my favorite is when they ask them to sing the note, like give us the pitch of that color, if that color were a sound. And for red, they're like, yeah, it'd be really high pitched, be kind of angry. Can you make it? Can you tell us what that would sound like? And then they show these people just <laughs> acting like fools, but they but they think it's very serious. And then blue is cool and calm. So yeah. But they, since they're the devolution and their little hats are red, does that mean that they stand for you know the you know they're the uprising? Well, it it is. It's the coming is up, the... the robot uprising. Right. Okay. All right. I get it. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what. Uh, the implications and the impact is for the for Devo. Well, it's brilliant. Well, it's and a really, in, in any, uh, well, I mean, in anything you can do to get your message above this, the the totally crowded marketplace of Absolutely. marketing ideas right now is uh, is a win. So, I'm with you. Speaking and of by crowded marketplace, I think didn't oh. didn't we talk about uh, um, in an earlier episode? We talked about the uh, Domino's pizza ad campaign. Yes. Did, you guys did we read? actually talk about it, or did we talk about talking about it? <laughs> That's what I don't remember. Oh, no, no, no. Let's we pretend actually did, we talked we about it. Okay, we didn't talk about it, but let's pretend we did. Okay. Let's pretend we talked about it. So, <laughs> well, now I don't want to go back. And Anyway, <laughs> so people know, right, uh, um, there was a big ad campaign uh, about how horrible Domino's Pizza was, and, you know, they had focus groups, and focus groups said the sauce is like ketchup and the crust <laughs> is like cardboard. And that was their, their ad campaign, and it was risky and, you know, like, wow, can't believe these guys are doing it. Uh, their, I believe it was their fourth quarter profit results doubled. Yeah, it was sick. Doubled. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's I, – don't you think that's a little predictable? Maybe. I mean, in some know, respect, it feels like uh, they're – It could have gone the other way. Really? I believe, I believe the three of us all – labeled it as completely useless if i remember correctly i don't know i was curious you know I, I think it's curious i think it's not i don't think it's edgy to be necessarily edgy to be honest but i think i, I think what what will be interesting is not how 
necessarily how this quarter is because frankly Domino's hasn't had a major brand change in a long time. I mean, you give you give uh, uh, you know millions of dollars to just about any company over a very short period of time and you're going to see a, a an increase. They could just have, you know, brought out a new, you know, avoid the noid campaign and had a, a an increase in just because it's been so long. But I think what's what's interesting is is it sustainable? Exactly. Once yes. people are able to actually, now that they've tasted the great pizza, is the product good enough to sustain next quarter and the right. quarter you're, after that? And you're that's exactly right. And and that's the predictable part, I guess, is that it's, it's, it, it's, um, gosh, I don't know if it's absolutely certain, but it's very likely that a major uh, product change or brand change provides uh, a short-term bump. Right. And that historically has been true. So you're right. It's, it's how sustainable is it? And I guess if the pizza actually is good, we can say, well, the ad campaign, you know, was successful. We can say that uh, Domino's did a good thing by, you know, making a change in the short run. People were ready to, to try it uh, or, you know, give it a test. If it was good, if they really made improvements, then we'd expect to see sustainability that goes beyond the marketing and goes to the product, right? Right, right. So have that you, will be So the bigger question is: Have either of you tried Domino's since this brilliant ad, ad campaign? Not me. I have not. And I won't. <laughs> it's not my thing. It's not your thing. Pizza is not your thing. Not Domino's pizza. Sorry, Domino's. You're pretty Sorry. gourmet. But, I am a little bit Portlanders gourmet. tend to be so like anti-corporate, anyways. I wouldn't yeah. expect you guys to, to that's, eat corporate that's pizza. That's right. Go thank ahead. Thank you for thank you for stereotyping. Go ahead and slam, <laughs> slander us. That's awesome. That's a great. I love doing it. <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, what? Uh, speaking of of things that are um, uh, also, uh, yeah, I, I lost it. Wow, there that was, was a, probably going to be a brilliant brilliant segue. I'm it was, was going to be, but I lost. It. It's probably going to be a really creative stretch of. I think you were connection. talking about a big surge and a trend. I think that's where you were going. Sur- well, Surges no, it, you know what it was? It was surges and trends <laughs> and things that are flat. <laughs> Like pizza? Yeah, that's that okay. was the segue, but it just Going didn't come it. out. It didn't come out quite right. Give uh, us some poetry. M- Megan found a, an interesting, uh, an interesting story on Twitter. The truth about Twitter. What was this all about? So this was uh, Barracuda Labs, whoever they are, did a study on Twitter users, and they sampled 19 million Twitter accounts, and their definition of an active Twitter user. Twitter user was somebody with at least 10 followers who followed at least 10 people and had tweeted at least 10 times, which is a pretty low bar for being an active Twitter user. Anyway, they found that only 21% of the accounts were active users, and 34% of those people surveyed or the account surveyed hadn't tweeted at all, ever, and then 73% of those people had tweeted less than 10 times. So um, that was interesting. And then the other part that I saw found fascinating just in a graphic form was just what Twitter has done is in terms of new users and new accounts. So 2009, you're looking at this graph of like, talk about flat, these little flat red hash marks. And all of a sudden, 2009, it takes this huge surge up. And then in 2010, it just flattens right back out. So, um, you know, they, they kind of jumped in there in 2009. You've got all these people not using it. Um, but you do have a good portion of users who are, you know, pretty committed and way more active than their definition of active. So it's, it's interesting. It will be interesting to see where this goes, um, as time progresses, if this will, you know, take a steady increase or if it's, you know, not meant to be. Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting trend. I mean, for those, it, it Twitter seems to be, uh, you know, those of us who are active, very active on Twitter, it, it, it can seem like it's a, a quite a broad, uh, a channel and and yet I think the audience tends to be of, of very active users clearly tends to be you know fairly insular um, you know but there's also this piece where you know I see a lot of people who are using Twitter as a feed reader as someplace to get news while they're not active they have accounts they don't they only follow the few people like Oprah and CNN and and uh, you know uh, those that they that are popular media people who have their Twitter all over the uh, all over their commercials. Rob Cordry. R- Rob Cordry, <laughs> who's awesome. <Sorry. laughs> uh, One of my favorites. And to follow. Uh, and so you know you end up with this this kind of um, that kind of niche of people. The broad user base of Twitter is probably you know more using it as a reader and not a. Um, Which know, is a good point. Right. 
So, uh, you know, I think we have more to talk about on this topic, but I think we are, uh, I, I think our interviewee is, uh, is about ready to join us. So uh, let's see if we awesome. can get him online. With us this week on the show, we have uh, uh, one of my uh, friends uh, for the last year. I've, I've really enjoyed working with this gentleman, Mr. Perry Gruber. Uh, Perry, thank you so much for joining us on Naked Marketers. Absolutely, my pleasure. It's just, it's a real treat because what you uh, what you are doing these days, I think, is is of great uh, something to take note of uh, for people in in marketing and business building. Uh, Perry is a is a, a, a respected entrepreneur in the community, and he's the co-founder uh, and CEO of the uh, what he calls the socially responsible Nedwater Liquid Change. Perry, can tell us a little bit about Nedwater and and what it means to be socially responsible. Absolutely. So Nedwater is a local startup we started back in September whose purpose it is to generate passive revenue streams for nonprofit organizations through the uh, sale or marketing of a commodity. And so what, the first commodity that we're working with is water. So we provide a very high quality water product to office places. In return, we take 25, up to 25% of the revenues from that sale and we give it to uh, nonprofits. Um, five percent of the revenue of the gross goes to five nonprofits: one international, one regional, and three local nonprofits. And then twenty percent of that twenty-five percent goes to what we designate as Better World Partners, which are nonprofits that we think are making the world a better better place in unique uh, and interesting ways. And so, the purpose of our social enterprise is to generate this uh, passive revenue for nonprofit organizations while making the world a better place, while at the same time providing uh, a really good quality product to um, the community that's, that's supporting these nonprofits. How did, fabulous. How did this come about? I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it seems like as someone who's, who's known you for the last, you know, year or two that, that, uh, you, you know, you were, you were doing one thing, building your business and suddenly you were CEO of, a, of this water company. How did, uh, how did water jump into your life like this? Yeah. What, what was, what was so inspiring about it for you? Well, it's interesting. It's a very interesting story. So I, I left Intel in 2008 to begin my public speaking. And as you know, Pete, uh, I speak about using a, a unique approach to spirituality to drive business success. And I, I realized early on that in order for me to be credible, I would need to have more than just a, a public speaking business. I would need to, need to have demonstrated what I'm talking about in my speeches in an actual enterprise. And at the, at the time, this was around Mar March of 2008 or 2009, my very good friend and now co-founder, Mark Grimes, came up to me and he said, um, Perry, you know, it's great what you're doing. I really, I really like the spiritual approach that you talk about in your speeches, but the, the business model you're using to develop that business, it will never scale. And you'll, so you'll be constrained by the, your own capacity to deliver speeches. Your, your, your income will be constrained. And I said to him, no, you're right. What, what type of business do you think um, I should get into? And he said to me, true to, to my spiritual beliefs, he said, just wait and, and something will emerge. And so about three months later, in June or July, Mark and I had a, a unique opportunity. A, a person approached us with an opportunity to create a water company. And Mark had mentioned um, some time ago wanting to create a water company. And he suggested to me after that person came to us that this might be a good opportunity for me to invest in exactly the type of business that he was talking about, something that's scalable and something that will make the world a better place. Well, the, the first time he approached me, I was like, I'm, I'm not really interested in water. I'm interested in, in doing what I'm doing. And then he approached me again and said, Perry, you really ought to take a look at this. And I, was, I, was, I said, no, I'm not really that interested. And then he came in to me a third time and, and, and said, you really have got to look at this. And so I looked at it and it, it made sense. I mean, it was, a, it was the perfect opportunity to put in place the practices that I talk about in my speeches and develop something from scratch that could be phenomenally successful, whereby people will come back later and say, wow, how did you do this? And at that point, the demand will be there to support my speaking business. So really, the, the water company is um, a proof case, if you will, for the, the uh, fundamentals that I talk about in my speeches. And, and it's interesting, Pete, because the, the way this company is rolling out is, is 
perfect proof of what I talk about in my speeches. For example, we started initially with Medwater. In addition to the great things that we do for nonprofit organizations, we also have this phenomenal water product. And, and here's how that story unfolded. We, we began just bottling Bull Run water. And we, we, take the, we used to take the Bull Run water and we run, run it through this ionizing machine, which raises the pH level of the water so that it's a better drinking water product. And we knew all along that here in Portland, the water is so freaking good. It would be really hard to, um, to sell a bottled product that's basically your tap water, even if you are value adding it by raising the pH level. Well, in the fall, uh, I was introduced to a, an entrepreneur who knew of a guy who owned the exclusive water rights to a 3,000-year-old aquifer that lies directly underneath the city of Portland. And that guy, I told basically told the same story that I just told you about Nedwater, and he, he said, you know what? What you're doing is so fantastic. I was thinking of creating a bottled water product and funding schools with 100% of the profits, but you're, you're doing something that's so much over the top, I want to be part of it. And so he, he is currently allowing us to use his water rights to, to bottle the water. So now, instead of using Portland municipal water, we're using this water that comes from this 3,000-year-old aquifer that's uh, essentially been inspected and rated as pure mineral water. Uh, it's, wow. it's right underneath Portland. It's 300 feet underneath Portland. We are the only ones that have access to it right now. And it's, a, it's, a, it's fantastic water. So in addition to doing this thing that makes the world a better place, we also are serving customers with this great, with this great product. And, and to be clear, that change is it, you, the water that's shipping in Ned Water bottles is now that water. That's correct, yes. So, so the, but, but the, the fascinating part of that story is how it came about, right. you know, so, so I, I, we, Mark and I are setting the intention that, that this company is going to be over the top. The story is going to be so phenomenally fantastic that people will, will just go, wow, and want to be part of it. And to, to have this, to, to, in just, in, it was, it was like four months after the company uh, started with, after the company got its first customer, four months later, we run into this guy who's got this unique source of water it's just like how could we how can we fail things are just happening so um it, it's like the the timing and the fortuitous circumstances are lining up to allow the company to be successful it's really great i'm i'm interested and then i'll stop monopolizing the conversation for uh, megan and dane but i i'm interested as as somebody who's had i mean you've got uh you know decades of experience at at intel and bonneville power in in marketing and communications and uh, I'm, I'm interesting what, you know, given your f current philosophy on, on sort of communicating with intentions and building business with intention, uh, what did you take out of those experiences in terms of, uh, if anything, in terms of tactics and, and, uh, and practice that, that you find applies in your current venture? What, how do you get business done, uh, you know, in this new way? And, and what has helped you about uh, from your past? First of all, our perception is a story, and we either accept the stories and perceptions of what we've seen in the past, or we choose to create new stories for ourselves and our enterprises that create the future we want to live into. What I learned at my previous organizations, the Marine Corps, uh, Bonneville Power, and at Intel, is that business the way it's been done is very popular. It can be very lucrative. But as many enlightened people, not spiritually enlightened, but like aware people are beginning to realize there are tremendous costs to doing things the way we've done them that are not accounted for. And so individuals like myself who are interested in accounting for those costs and creating net positive benefits as opposed to positive benefits with hidden repercussions or hidden negative outcomes are interested in creating new stories. Now, markets are conversations. They're not, they're not places. And so when you combine a compelling story in the context of a market which is a conversation between human beings, all of a sudden, you generate huge potential for outcomes that you can't even imagine. And if you can live in this place, if you can live in this place where anything is possible with regard to your your enterprise, your intention around building a business, and you allow the business to, to act as an organic entity 
bringing to you opportunities. If you can, and, and if you can see those opportunities as, as opportunities and be prepared to seize them when they emerge, all of a sudden, it's kind of like the, how's that saying go? The, the tail wagging the dog. All of a sudden, you are being pulled by opportunities as opposed to seeking out or trying to create or trying to force or to trying to manipulate events into opportunities. I guess the, so I, I guess that's the first thing. And then second, the second thing is to do your best. I, this is hard in our, in our, our American society, but do your best to remain optimistic. The more optimistic you can remain, the more you're shaping your perspective, which is nothing than a story to, to create the potential for more positive things to come your way. If you're dwelling in fear or if you're concerned about where the next dollar is going to come from, or you're worried about failing, or you're worried about losing market share, or you, you feel that market share is a zero-sum game where there's this fixed amount of, of gain that you can get, and if you don't get it, someone else is going to get it. If you, if you live in those types of perspectives, you're going to create a certain, certain, certain type of enterprise. What Mark and I are, are creating is, a, is an enterprise based on basically optimism, and alignment to ideals that create a better world. And so, so what I learned from, I guess to summarize, what I learned from my experiences in the past is that there's a better way to do it. And we are demonstrating how that better way looks, essentially. That's awesome. That's fascinating. Are, are you, so, um, I mean, uh, I, I was really engaged in what you're saying. I, mean, I just think that's such an interesting way to uh, approach what it is to, um, you know, to communicate with your customers, or, or I guess, you know, a definition of marketing, uh, sort of. But do you do you think, on the larger in the larger sense, that that is the opportunity for companies to embrace social responsibility? Is that it just um, uh, it, it it lends, I guess, that uh, a whole new layer or or a, a new element to the conversation that they're trying to have that i mean you just had this great uh, beautiful i think description of what it means to to engage and, and to move that conversation and um you know your company is built around social responsibility but how about a company like i don't know maybe intel but they're going to adopt socially responsible um uh practices is does that is that the opportunity for them as they do that uh, it, you know, I, I had this conversation when I was um, interviewing Mark for a book that, that I'm writing that's going to come out about what we're doing. And uh, allow me to, to go on for a minute about the nature of corporations and why I think what you're describing may, may not be possible for established corporations. When you, look at, when you look at the culture of a corporation, a large organization, um, there is a lot of fear and cynicism and resignation that exists in those organizations, mainly because there isn't, in, in most cases, there's not a direct tie between what the individual human being is doing in that organization and the results that show up. Even the CEO in most of these large organizations doesn't have a whole lot of control over the levers or over the, the, the direct inputs that produce the results that are produced, whether it's the stock price, market share, or actual products that roll out of the organization. And so when there's this disconnect, there is a propensity, I think, for people to feel hapless. And they're already, they're already living in a, in, a, in a society or a culture that is oriented towards cynicism and resignation and fear. And so it's, it's, it's very difficult, even for a, an organization like an Intel, which is doing a lot of great things out there with regard to corporate social responsibility, it's difficult for an organization even like that to embrace the kind of perspective that I'm talking about because they're so moribund by an existing culture that's so based on this cynicism, resignation, negativity, um, um, and, and, and other uh, perspectives or per perceptions or stories that are based on those things. That being said, so, so the question is, can an organization as large as an Intel or even medium-sized organizations that already have momentum developed by their cultures, can they develop the type of perspective that I'm talking about or the type of story that I'm talking about? Uh, I'm not sure. 
but um, well, I, I'm not sure. And I, I think there's a there's a corollary question there too, though, Perry, which is, um, you know, how does an organization like Nedwater, based on intention and social responsibility, scale effectively? Uh, in light of what naturally happens when you introduce larger teams, larger staffs, and and more layers of of um, sort of uh, of management. Exactly, that's a really good question, and and this is why. So, um, I also have, in addition to being a highly spiritual person, I also have an MBA, so I have some practical uh, grounding in in what we're talking about here. I, I when you begin to build an organization, it's really hard to avoid. You're right. It's very hard to avoid those dynamics. And so one of the things that, that we're attempting to do is to build an organization that is not an organization. It's, it's like a, a group of people who are coming together as independent contributors, not, not employees, who are working together to make a world a better place. So practically speaking, in business language, the, the people who will be, quote unquote, empl- employees of Medwater will be 1099 employees. So they'll be contra- everyone will have a contractor status. Now, when you in our in our if you if you jump out of the story that I'm saying now into the traditional business story, when you hear 1099 or contractor, most people feel a lot of um, uncertainty and and ambiguity around that kind of status. We are as human beings in the United States, we are used to the stabil- the perceived stability and comfort of being a quote unquote employee. The problem is, when you're an employee, you don't have a whole lot of control, and you're dependent upon those who have control for your income. As a contractor, conversely, you have all the control. You can decide whether or not you want to get up in the morning and do the work. Now, of course, your income is going to be dependent on that, but there's a tremendous amount of freedom and flexibility for the individual when they're working with a group of people, all of whom are responsible for themselves, and there's a, a lot more empowerment in that environment than there is when you're an employee drawing a paycheck from an organization that is hiring you. Can you see that? Yeah, that makes I a think lot of that's, sense. Yeah, I think that's everything you're saying, I think, is very fascinating. I actually watched one of the workshops you gave to a group of engineers, uh, some engineering association in town last night. And it struck me that you you seem like this great combination of like a Seth Godin type talking about, you know, addressing your fears and moving toward, you know, what Seth calls the resistance um, and kind of just going for it and, and creating your own reality. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Simon Sinek, but he talks a lot about starting from your why and that great companies start from their why, which is kind of your core purpose. Um, so I guess my question for you in dealing with Nedwater is do you find that you are starting from your core purpose as you're, you know, doing quote unquote marketing, just for lack of a better, you know, as you're having these conversations and creating this reality that is Ned Water, are you starting with that purpose? Are you starting with the water? Like how 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 do those conversations come about? Um, you know, from a sales perspective. Right. So that's a good question, and it's a it's a dance is is really what it is. So when we're so the this this may you may find this really interesting when we talk to our our purpose our purpose of Nedwater obviously is to make the world a better place and to support nonprofit organizations but there's another purpose that we're gearing towards and this may be the why for us we are attempting to change the way business is done and we do that through the uh, through water so when we put when we put a dispenser and a, and a five-gallon bottle in an office in a business, there are, they're benefiting, number one, from the, the great product that we're, we're providing to them, this, this, the quality of this water. But they're also benefiting, their brand is benefiting by being, from being aligned to an organization that is making the world a better place through these nonprofits. So there's this autom- automatically there's this CSR component that, hit, that attaches to their brand by being part of Nedwater. And they're getting that brand hit by, you know, by paying at the most six seventy-five a bottle for the water plus ten dollars for a dispenser. So it's a really cheap way to do what you would normally pay thousands of dollars for a consultant to help you do. But then we come, Mark and I come behind that water service, and we say, okay, now that you've taken our, now that you're buying our water, 
let's look at how we can we can I- identify your interests as a business and enhance your business your brand by going after those interests. For example, we're working with we're working with um, Portland Roasting, right? Even as we speak, we've got a, a Twitter conversation going on with Portland Roasting around a a passion that the owner of Portland Roasting has, which is building wells in Africa. So Portland Roasting is a, is a local coffee manufacturer. I don't know if you're aware of them, but um, the owner, Mark Stell, is really interested in generating revenue to support building water wells in Africa. And he has this event that he began last year called Walk for Water. Um, Walk for Water is, is an event where Portlanders can come to the waterfront and pay $20 per individual for the privilege of carrying a five-gallon bottle, a five-gallon jug of water 3.1 miles around the Willamette River to, oh experience, to experience what it's like for an African woman to get water for her, her family. The average distance that an African woman travels to get water for her family is 3.1 miles. And wow. so a, along this course, um, Portlanders will in, engage with inter, interpretive centers that are oriented around the Millennium Development Goals. There'll be this nonprofit pavilion where they can learn more about water issues, and they're going to be showing the movie Flow at that event. So Mark started this, this event last year, Mark Stell, uh, at Portland Roasting, and this year he wants to increase the number of people participating in the event. Now, when we first talked with Mark's salesperson, we were interested in partnering with, with Portland Roasting in order to get them to become a Nedwater customer. But um, we found out right away that Mark Stell's interest and our interest were really aligned. And so we, we talked with Mark about social networking and how Twitter and Facebook can enhance their brand and the results of their event because markets are conversations. And, and Mark Stell was not taking advantage of Twitter and Facebook and other social networking methods to get the word out and to get people involved in the conversation of making the world a better place through these water wells via this event. So we went and we, 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 we talked with Mark about how to improve his personal Twitter interaction and Facebooking interaction. And then he was so excited about what we shared with him that he had us come and talk to his entire staff uh, about it. And then um, I, I used one of my speaking opportunities at a local Rotary to talk about his World Water Day event. So my, my point is, is that all of these engagements with Portland Roasting are what we do with our, what we will eventually be doing with our other customers. Because what we're trying to do is change the shape of business. We're trying to, to help our business customers realize that by engaging in the market conversations, by engaging with individuals via Facebook, Twitter, and other social networking opportunities, and doing that around causes that make the world a better place, you can be a more successful business and, and contribute to making the world a better place. And there's a lot of research that shows that people want to patronize businesses that are doing this. So for the cost of what it would normally, for, for what it would normally cost a business to go to like Sparklets or Sierra Springs, they not only get a better water product because it's this unique mineral water source here that's local, but they also get this, you know, like 50 to 75 years of CSR, cause marketing, and now social networking expertise uh, to enhance their brand. It, it's a great deal. So That's, that's amazing. Ahead. And you're also, you're not just coaching, you're also demonstrating. So I think that's the power in what you're doing. It's not that you're, you know, I'm an MBA teaching you from on high how to do this. You know, that's the beauty of what you're doing is you're using this company as proof of how it can work and, and teaching by example, which is amazing. Yes, exactly. And so the why is, the why is Mark and I want to transform the way business is done to make the world a better place. We, we're sick and tired of seeing for-profit organizations um, myopically focused on the bottom line or worse, using CSR and cause marketing and social networking as a way to increase the bottom line instead of making the world a better place. They've got it backwards. You should make the world a better place, and as a result of that, you will be financially rewarded. So that's the one thing. And then on the other thing, the why is we're sick and tired of seeing nonprofits out there that that aren't doing the job they're meant to do. There are a lot of nonprofits out there these days, and I can name some names, but I'm not going to, who are more interested in their their self-perpetuation than the mission that they originally founded for. And so we want to change these two stories. 
Perry, you know, that I think that's a there are two things that you're talking about that I, I really want to dive into. And, and uh, the, the first is, you know, you're you have a, a very defined bent on uh, appropriate and strong strategic partnerships. I mean, that's it, it seems like every customer from what the, the way I hear you talk about this, every customer is a powerful strategic partner or a potential powerful, powerful strategic partner. Uh, can you give us some tips on on how you evaluate your customer relationships in, in strategic in light of strategic partnership? What do you look for in somebody who is, you know, who is going to be a really good customer versus somebody who may raise some red flags? It, we, we only do, the first priority is we only do business with people we like. Mm. Markets are conversations. Conversations are made up of people. Have you ever had a conversation with someone you don't like? Yeah. <laughs> if I had a dime. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel very good to have conversations <laughs> with people you don't like. And if markets are conversations, you, and, and those conversations are equal to revenue, why would you want to work with people you don't like? So we don't work with people we don't like. That's the first, or, or I should say it the other way around, the positive way. We only work with people we like. That's the first thing. The second thing is we don't have a list of criteria that we're looking for because you never know. That's what's so great about human beings. You never know who is going to be someone that takes your purpose to the next level. You never know. So the way that we, so, so I, can't, I guess the short answer is I can't give you a, a list all I can say is that trust your heart, work with people that you like, stay optimistic, and the people that you're supposed to work with will show up. And that's what's happening with Nedwater. Well, that's a, that you know, in many respects, that's exactly the answer I was hoping for because okay. the the uh, you know the the you know when I'm working with with clients, we have the same discussion, which is uh, you know it invariably ends with let's stop focusing so hard on on you know measurement and you know return on investment in any particular partnership and just focus on being open to anything and everything yes uh, and i guess the only thing i would add to the your first point is you know we we only work with people we like is uh, you know really we want to like everyone we're predisposed to want to have a positive relationship with everyone we come across. And, and I think that, you know, rather than coming across with this sort of air of cynicism and skepticism, and this may not work, it's, it's finding opportunities where, where, you know, some may be hidden. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny because you're absolutely right, Pete. And the, um, a good example of that is in, in my, just before I graduated from my MBA program, I was working with one of my my um, fellow alumni on potentially starting a business. And um, the relationship started, started moving forward toward what we, what we were thinking about doing. But over, about, over the course of about, let's say, several weeks, it became, became obvious that our styles of approaching business were really different. And our personalities were really different. And so at, at, at the end of those, that several-week period, the relationship just naturally kind of dissolved. He went one. He he acknowledged that it wasn't a good fit for him. I acknowledged that it wasn't a good fit for me, and we just kind of went our separate ways. And so it's not like it's not like Mark and I go uh, that guy we don't like and we're not going to work with him. We begin working with people, and if it doesn't work out, it what it doesn't work out because it wasn't meant to work out. And so far, that that dynamic that mechanism has provided us with people who are really aligned with what we're doing, like the owner of this, um, this aquifer, or like the, the young guy who is currently working with us in R&D to produce a carbonated beverage from this water source, uh, or my next door neighbor who turned out to be, turns out to be the president of his own manufacturing company who's helping us come up with a solution to get carbonation into our water system. So, so you know, these, these type of fortuitous happenings as a result of conversing with human beings naturally occurs. It's not like we're going out and looking at, okay, who do we like? Who do we don't like? It's like, let's engage with this person and see how it goes. And if it doesn't go, it wasn't meant to go. And if it goes, wow, we really like this guy. That kind of, that's how it works. I, I want to talk a little bit about something that you mentioned a few moments ago about, um, you know, you don't do corporate social responsibility to make an impact in the bottom line, but if you do it for the right reasons, then it does have an impact. And, you know, we've had conversations on this show already about, you know, this, people aren't stupid and they're moving toward a place where they're demanding authenticity 
and trust between themselves and companies. So I, I just, I wanted to kind of touch back on that because I think it's so important just that, you know, people are looking for companies that are authentic and are doing things for the right reason and aren't just in it for the bottom line. I mean, you know, if you want to point to studies, there's plenty of them out there that, you know, where people are choosing one company over another um, for those very reasons. So I think what you're talking about is so important. Um, you know, in terms of authentic marketing, you know, and again, just to use that term for lack of a better way to, to say it, but um, that's really where people are moving. So I think, um, you know, doing that by example is huge. I totally, I totally agree with you, Megan. In fact, there was a, there was a great example of this. I believe it was last year or early this year where Starbucks um, created, I'm using the name because it was very, a very prominent example. Starbucks had created a Facebook um, fan page touting the fact that they were going to give 10 cents or 25 cents of every cup of coffee sold to some good cause. And at first it started out great. There were people lining up all over the place on Facebook talking about this and the conversation was really open. So there were no restrictions on who could post on, on the Facebook page. And then all of a sudden some people started getting up there and saying, are you freaking crazy? 10% of a $5, I mean, 10 cents of a $5 cup of coffee? Come on, you should be giving 30 cents or you should be giving 50 cents, you know? And, and the, the, it, now it doesn't, it, of course, these people have no idea about the costs incurred in producing a $5 cup of coffee. Um, 10 cents might be like 50% of the net of that, of that uh, product. But the point is, is that the, the people on this Facebook page were beginning to real the conversation was going negative on Starbucks. And uh, rather than authentically addressing that conversation, what happened was Starbucks shut the page down. Oh, <gasps> no. yeah. oh so, they didn't. Yeah, and, and guess what happened? The people who were, were, were opposition went and started their own was, page. Yep, sure they did. Of course they did. <laughs> so when you're talking about when you're talking about Oops. yes, when you're talking about getting into this space where markets are conversation are conversations and where authenticity reigns, you really need to be prepared to be truly authentic and not be afraid. You know, this and this goes back to what I was talking about about corporate culture where there's fear, cynicism, and resignation. You can imagine the board and, and you know in the higher ups at Starbucks going, Oh my God, this thing's getting out of control. The lawyers get involved, and the first things the lawyers want to do is 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 shut things down rather than authentically conversing with folks about it. You know, they, the Starbucks CEO could have got on Facebook and say, Look, guys, you know, 10% represents 30% of our net, or you know, whatever it happens to actually be. And we can't give 50, 50 cents because it would, this, is, this is how the, the mathematics works. You know, Just having an authentic conversation about what the deal is rather than shutting it down. So I, I totally agree with you, Megan. Authenticity is so important. And if you're authentic, you know, I think that it, it, as we go further into the future, authenticity is going to reign, period. Perry, we have, uh, I think we've just about exhausted our time with you, uh, but I, I wanted to ask one last question. You've talked a lot about the power of social media and what it has done for, uh, uh, for you and, and your business. I wonder if you could share with us just a few words on, on you know, how you use the tools that you use. And in that context, tell us how uh, we can find you if we want to learn more about Ned Water and tweet with you and Facebook with you and, and uh, share some of those thoughts. Sure. You can find all about Ned Water at our website, which is Ned Water, N-E, November Echo Dog, water.net. And you can find me at Ned, November Echo Dog, underscore Perry at Twitter. So it's at Ned, underscore Perry. Um, and then I'm on Facebook under my name. Um, and, and as far as social media is concerned, we use social media right now um, to just heighten the conversation of making the world a better place. We don't talk so much about Ned Water. Social media is, um, we're using social media to help our water customers become successful as companies. We're not using it so much to help Ned Water become successful. Uh, Ned Water is growing because of, of the story we're telling and the way we're helping um, businesses become successful themselves. Perry, thank you so much for uh, your time today and, and sharing these thoughts with us. Very, uh, it's a fascinating conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're thank welcome. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. That Perry Gruber, I, I'll tell you, I can't get enough of him. 
He's fantastic. He fantastic. I'm loving what he's doing. Uh, so I, I encourage everybody to to go follow Perry and and uh, learn more about what Nedwater Liquid Change is doing. NedwaterLiquidChange.net, and um, and uh, we will certainly have Perry back in the future to check in and see how the business is doing, how uh, how the uh, the role model for socially responsible business uh, is is changing the way partnerships are made and built. And, and I feel like I'll just throw this in that uh, his enthusiasm and his positive approach were a little infectious to me. I hope they uh, were infectious to, to listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's good stuff. Now, uh, let's talk about tools. What are you guys using what, uh, these days that are helping you build these beautiful, powerful strategic partnerships? Yeah. <laughs> um- you know, I'll jump in. I've got to say that I have been a LinkedIn member for a long time because back in the day, it was the place to go, you know, if you wanted your resume out there, you know, that's sort of my perception of how it started. And I've been, you know, every time somebody sends me a LinkedIn invitation, if I know who they are and they're a decent person, I'll accept it. So I've got a decent network. Um, but recently I was like, hey, maybe I should use this LinkedIn thing and post a question to, you know, kind of help me with my blog series. And I will tell you, I have gotten a gajillion responses, most of them really amazingly good. And I've gotten got a lot of great contacts. I've met with some people from just from this LinkedIn um, thing. And, you know, I have to say, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of liking, I'm liking LinkedIn because Twitter, I love Twitter. Twitter feels a little bit manic to me. Like LinkedIn seems much more directed um, and I know there are ways to manage the mania of Twitter, um, but I don't know. I'm really, I'm really liking LinkedIn. So it's kind of an old tool made new, and I, I'm sure everybody except me has has done this. But in LinkedIn, there's a questions feature, so you can either ask or answer questions. And if you answer enough questions, they'll change you to an expert status. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's for a given period of time. So that's kind of a neat feature that I didn't even know existed. You and know, I've linked to my Twitter to my LinkedIn. So now my LinkedIn's getting updated all the time without me doing anything. Well, that's awesome. People, Ta-da! Yeah. Well, and, you know, you are bringing up um, a couple of points. The first one is the, the how stale LinkedIn was for many, many years. Uh, you know, there was a long time where you put your resume up there and LinkedIn didn't do anything while you had Twitter and you had Facebook and all these places where you could have ongoing discussions and LinkedIn had nothing. It was only, I think, last year that uh, that LinkedIn uh, released the discussions and questions, you know, features. And the groups are awesome, the too. The groups, right. I mean, that's all pretty new. And uh, and I think... Maybe that's why I wasn't using it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just sort of been maturing, I think. And I, I'm with you. I, I probably don't use it enough, but I have a good, you know, I feel like I have a good network and when I need it, they're there. Well, that's the thing. You know, if you have something specific, you put it out on Twitter... And you get very little. The other thing I like about LinkedIn is I'm getting, I'm able to, and I know you can do this on Twitter too, but I'm much more able. Most of my contacts are in the Portland area. So I'm able to shoot out a question to like the the Portland OEN group, you know, the entrepreneurs group. And so I'm getting local contacts, which is what I wanted. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, that felt really useful and easy. Well, and and let me say, I'm I'm really glad that Megan brought uh, this one up. Um, I, I think this is a great one to talk about. I think, you know, uh, you know I can be guilty of, of being sort of a gadget glutton and, you know, bring me lots of gadgets. But I, but I think one of the things that we're we're really trying to do, even with this show, and I'm trying to do in in my own life, is is keep it simple enough. Um, make sure that you know we have the right reasons for using the right things, and and we're not trying to just jump on, you know, a shiny new object. And I, you know, that that's been a recurring topic for us and will continue to be and um, you know LinkedIn isn't everything to everybody and it isn't the greatest tool ever invented but it is it, it does have a unique place uh, and and it doesn't take a whole lot to use it or, or to get some use out of it um, and, and I've I um, as Megan brought that up this morning I mean I, I I actually had gotten into my LinkedIn account yesterday to try to make a couple updates and make sure things looked okay and and I think I need to go back there and do a little bit more. And and I have yet to to actually you know create that Twitter uh, link um, back and forth. So, you know, just a few of those things. But it's it's kind of the place where you can you know hook up with people you used to work with that you have no real social you know reason to you know they're not going to want to see your your Facebook updates. They may not care at all really about your Twitter feeds. But there might be some point a year from now when somebody you know needs something and. Um, 
and you've got that connection. And then to Megan's point about groups, uh, that that probably is um, the most dynamic opportunity available on LinkedIn. So something I think for me and, and probably for everyone just to take a second look at and, and go back and, and figure out uh, if you need to give a little more attention to, to LinkedIn and if it can do more for you than it than it currently is. Yeah, particularly Absolutely. if it's been a while. You know, enough yeah. has changed that, that you should at least make sure your your information is up to date and and that you're connected. I I have a a, a tool that I have been using for years uh, now for Google Apps. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Google Apps, it's it's uh, essentially a way to take uh, the Google. Uh, Gmail infrastructure with Google Calendar and Google Docs and Google Mail, uh, Gmail, and and put your own domain around it. It used to be called Google Apps for your domain, and uh, and so for example, you know my domain is fifthandmain.com and my email is fifthandmain, but it's essentially you know all the services provided by Google. It's essentially a Gmail account. It works great. Well. That's sort of the old news. This week there was some big news, or last week now. Uh, Google Apps Marketplace launched at the uh, Google One Campfire uh, event that they had last week. And it, it is an opportunity for third-party developers to develop applications that integrate and install inside of your Google Apps installation. So, for example, you can bring in contact information, uh, you know, from Salesforce. You can bring in mass email information from Vertical Response. You can, uh, you know, bring in financial information from QuickBooks Online. Uh, it is a. Uh, I, I think this is uh, a real boon for developers to get into a, a, a technical ecosystem uh, that uh, allows them really to compete on a level with Microsoft Exchange. And I think it's a blow across Exchange, the bow of Exchange, because, uh, you know, the price is incredible for Google Apps per user. The um, uh, and and the tool is just seamless, streamlined, and uh, really rock solid. Uh, so I recommend you give Google Apps a shot. Um, if you are interested, if you have your own domain, if you are running a small business and you need to provide email, don't set up a Yahoo account. Don't set up a my business. <laughs> I'm I'm a business owner at Yahoo.com. Please don't do that. D it, it looks terrible. It is a terrible oh. thing for you to do this. To get started with Google Apps, it's absolutely free. Just go to google.com slash A, and, uh, and you can set up a, a brand new account and uh, have your own domain on your email in, in literally minutes. Uh, it, is, it is really useful. You guys are apps users, Very cool. right? You guys are. Uh, apps. I'm an apps user because you set me up on it. Oh, that's right. I did. So you are, uh, Thanks, you're, you are officially converted. I'm converted. Yeah. Are you Dane? Are, yeah, you, are you Dane at, at Hotmail.com? No, I'm not Please. at Hotmail. No. Please. But thanks. Be lucky you're in Salt Lake, if that's the truth. Crying Sorry. out loud. Uh, I'm, uh, this is my, uh, um, I'm on the Apps Marketplace uh, uh, website here since uh, Pete brought this up earlier. And um, this is actually just a fascinating evolution for Google. And uh, obviously a, a big, I would imagine, long-term moneymaker, I hope anyway, uh, a lot of these uh, add-ons. I, I looked at a CMS solution, uh, tactile or CRM, customer relations management. That's uh, ten bucks, I guess, as a plug-in, or ten bucks a month. Right. Wow. Um, and I'm assuming Google's taking something off the top of that. So if you know a, f a free apps foundation, um, you know that this new sort of uh, <laughs> the market, the marketing approach of free is a very interesting thing to hit. Um, the market in the last couple of years where, you know, you, you get mass adoption by offering for free, but then somehow, you know, there's the upgrade to the more expensive or to the plugins or to the features. Right. And so this makes from a, from a, a business standpoint, a lot of sense. It's kind of interesting. It hadn't happened sooner, but um, they're, they're launching here with a whole bunch of products. The app store, it's the wave of the future. Everybody's got one. Yeah, it's, it's all about integration, too. We've, and can I just say for the record, and I know I'm probably talking to the choir, but I met with a company this week, had a fabulous website. They were very professional. They knew what they were doing. They don't have analytics on their website. Mm. They have no way of tracking anything. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I just, they'd never even heard of it. And so if you don't have Google Analytics on your website, you have to get it because 
otherwise, how are you going to know who's coming to your site and when and how often? And if the things you're doing are working as far as driving traffic to your website, you and know, it's free. we should we should do a sh we should do a whole show on on getting your business off the ground and all the tools you can make use of. Uh, uh, be a long show for free. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the basics. It we yeah. could. Uh, I think that would be a. I think that would be a fun show. We could bring it would on be some really people fun to show. talk about. Um, uh, let's see. What else do we have to talk about as we wrap up the show here? Um, I don't think we have anything. I think we're done. <laughs> I think that's ahead. it. I think we put a fork in it. Uh, how do we find uh, you, Mr. Christensen? Uh, Dane Christensen. I'm at strike10media.com, uh, strike10media.com. Um, and uh, let's see. My Facebook fan page is uh, Strike10. Twitter. Twitter as Alta Dane. <laughs> One of these days we'll get all of them. Yeah, Where's I the, just wanted to keep it jingle. easy. That's right. We need the jingle. Megan? Uh, I am Megan Strand at encouraged.com, and that's encouraged with an I-N. And uh, Twitter, I'm at Megan Strand, M-E-G-A-N-S-T-R-A-N-D. Excellent. I am uh, Pete Wright. I'm at fifthandmain.com, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pete Wright. Please follow up. You can also uh, find the show on Facebook. Uh, just search for The Naked Marketers on Facebook. You'll find us. Uh, and uh, also at thenakedmarketers.com, you'll find that's where we're archiving the shows themselves. You can go listen to the shows online. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, pretty much any way you want to consume the show, you can find it uh, in those places. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And I think on behalf of Megan and Dane and me, we are out of here.